0: Welcome to the Atlanta Career Journey Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Varnado, and this week's guest is Cindy Peterson. Although Cindy's based in the West Coast, we've kind of adopted her in Atlanta because so she spent so much time here when we worked together. She and I worked together at Macy's Technology, and she was one of the best managers that I've had in my career. Um, she has that rare ability to see the big picture as well as dig into the details and make data-driven decisions. Her career journey has taken a few different directions, um, is she a chemical engineer? Is she an agile transformer? Is she a product management expert? <laughs> yes, yes, and yes. <laughs> she's also doing some amazing things in the consulting space. So, welcome to the podcast, Cindy. Thank you, Paul.
1: Wow, that was uh, probably the nicest, best podcast introduction I've
0: ever had. Well, see, and she's also <laughs> kind, too. So, there's that, too. So, no, I mean it all. I've, I've been fascinated by your career since I've met you. And, um, yeah, I thought it'd be a great opportunity for you to kind of share some of your um, your your experiences, or your best practices, and just kind of talk to the audience a little bit about how you got to where you are today. So um, yeah, absolutely. And and you're the first person I met that's actually you know born in Montana. So let's start there. Tell
1: really? You a little bit about your background. Well, yeah. there aren't very many of us. <laughs> um, that is that is a true fact. Um, there's actually more true fact more cows than people in Montana um yeah <laughs> so that's, that's our amazing. claim to fame
0: <laughs> yeah well what three quarters of the state's like rocky mountains right i mean it's it's pretty uh the western yeah. half is pretty the rugged Western right?
1: half yeah yeah so yeah i was born and raised um in montana i um grew up on in a very rural part on the eastern side of the rocky mountains but in the plains and my parents were farmers and I was raised, you know, on the land that the ancestors homesteaded about a hundred years um, before I was there. Yeah, so definitely have you know like very uh, you know humble roots in Montana.
0: Probably where you first learned about hard work and um, you know fixing things on your own and being self reliant too. I would imagine.
1: Yeah, um, I did I actually think interestingly enough that what shaped me when I think about my career living in Montana was actually what I think a lot of kids you know that that kind of grow up in rural America experience which is more the I want to figure out how to get out of here Yeah. Um, yeah because I grew up in a very in a very small town in a very small community and you know they're just they're there wasn't the experiences that I, you know, ultimately wanted to have. And I didn't even, I couldn't have articulated that at the time when I was, you know, in high school, but I knew that I really had ambitions to get out in the world and to see different things. Um, And so it was, it was that, I think that, that drove me. It's, I was just listening to um you know, the new, the new Brene Brown podcast or relatively new. And I, I something struck me, she was having a conversation with um, a book author and they were talking about the place in this case that this fictional book was set. Um, but, but the place where you grew up really being a character that shaped you. And I, I really resonated with that because I, I feel like that's really true, especially if you, you know, spend the bulk of your childhood in one place. Mm -hmm. Um, That really is, it's like another, you know, model in your life that shapes you for, you know, for good or for bad and combination of both. And I definitely feel like where I grew up shaped me, you know, in a number of ways, um, just being on the basis of growing up there.
0: Yeah. Did you feel like, because since you said you were kind of like you had, bigger aspirations than what Montana could offer you. Were you, was that typical of your circle of friends or were you kind of unique with that? Like, okay hey guys, y'all are sticking around here, but I'm, I'm going places.
1: No, I think it was very, um, very universal, um, especially I think in, you know, how every graduating class has sort of a culture of their own. And um, in my graduating class, all 39 of us. Just wrap your head around that. <laughs> but, um, but I, you know, I, I look back, we have, you know, of that 39 people, we have, you know, two physicians, we have multiple PhDs um, that are doing everything from, you know, cancer research to organizational development. Um, you know, we have every profession under the sun kind of um, as many professions as 39 people can have um, and that live all over the United States and and outside the United States. So I think, you know, it was, there was a, there was a lot of, you know, big, big dreams um, coming out of that. And I think that also kind of pushed us um, with each other to, to, you know, think about what were we going to do that might look different than where we grew up or we'd experienced up until that point in our life.
0: Nice. That's amazing. I mean, it's, you know, for such a small group, that's a pretty successful bunch. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm yeah. not sure if my high school has that many uh,
1: PhDs,
0: <laughs> but um, yeah, it's another story. Um, yeah, so family, big family, small family, extended family.
1: So <laughs> my, my dad has over 100 first cousins.
0: Okay, big family. yeah, is that crazy?
1: <laughs> um, so, but I, I came from a you know relatively small small part of the large family. Yeah, my grandfather had seventeen brothers and sisters. Um, so you know, good Belgian Catholic roots. Uh-huh.
0: Um,
1: but you know i I came from a family of of five. I had you know a brother and a sister growing up, and um, so we, And I think what probably, you know, I think about that, you know, what shaped me more than anything um, was that was really that my parents, number one had, you know, they, you know, really like college was not a, uh, something that we talked about in that you either do it or you don't, or there's other paths. It was just like what you did after you graduated from high school. Um, and they were both college educated, and but where my grandfather, or my father's father, you know, he had an eighth grade education. Like that was how, you know, how much things had changed even in a generation when you think about that area because you left at eighth grade because you needed to go and work on the land, right, right? Right. And so to you know to go from that to my father graduating college with an engineering degree in one generation is and you know, most of his siblings did as well, is, is pretty significant. And so, but at the same time, for me, it was just what you did. Mm. Um, but I think the other thing that shaped me, I would say, for, for, for good and bad, um, as I was, you know, thinking about um, what we're going to talk about today is I, you know, I come from a family of uh, engineers and my, my mom was a math major. My father was an engineering major. And so I had ingrained in me from a very young age, you know, sort of that that math and science bent mm-hmm. um, to the way that they approach the world, um, and therefore that led a lot in terms of the way that I approach the world. Um, that I think, you know, had still, obviously, still has this part of how I work and what I've thought about in my career. But certainly early on, as I was like looking at majors in college, really shaped how I thought um, and how, you know, like what steered me to what I ended up majoring in and where that took me.
0: So, yeah, let's talk about that. So chemical engineering, how did you decide that? (laughs) I know that was when I went to tech, um, that was the reputation was that was the hardest major on campus. And um, I don't know if that was the case. Uh, were Were you in school?
1: Um, I went to school in Montana state,
0: Montana state,
1: um, which actually has a, has a pretty, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's no Georgia tech, um, but it has, but it has a good engineering program. Sure. Um, And it was where my, and it was where my parents went. Okay. Um, And it was also Montana where if you're going to be going to college in state, there's, there was two major university choices. There was the university of Montana or Montana state university. Um, (laughs) <laughs> and the University of Montana was much, much more well known for the liberal arts uh, programs and um, MSU for uh, engineering, architecture, and agriculture, actually. So, so that was, it was sort of the, the logical choice. But no, why, yeah. so, and yes, at Montana State, we always considered it the second hardest um, and electrical engineering being the hardest. I don't know why crazy
0: double E's. Yeah.
1: Those, those guys. Mm.
0: Um, It's all pretty hard stuff. I know there's, you know, the first two years is pretty much just straight up engineering classes and um, I don't care where you go. It's, it's difficult content to get through if you're not ready for it. So.
1: Yeah, it, it is. It it was a really challenging major, I think. So what led me there? Honestly, this was probably my first, um, you know, bit of, bit of wisdom I will attempt to impart from my experiences and my scars on my back because I really approached um, picking a degree very pragmatically. um, And I picked it based on three factors. Number one, um, what I was good at and looking at how do I narrow down the field of majors based on if I'm good at math and science and they come e- pretty relatively easily to me, um, then I should probably major in something that uses math and science.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's the, that's the one that I will challenge people to really think about. And I'll tell you why in a minute. Um, the, so the second one was, I was like, what is going to be a career that's going to start me off on the right foot. And I'm going to make some money coming out of yeah college.
0: (laughs) Yeah. That was my motivation too. I'm going to be honest.
1: Yeah. And at the Mm -hmm. time, um, and I honestly, I don't, I don't track enough of like recent college graduate salaries nowadays to say whether this is even true, but, but back (laughs) in the (laughs) nineties, it was, you know, that it was, it was one of the most um, lucrative bachelor's degrees that you, Mm -hmm. that you could, you could have and engineering was in very high demand. Mm Um, so that made it sort of a logical choice. And then the third reason is, is a more personal one in that when I was looking at majors and thinking, and I thought, Oh, you know, engineering, that's, that was cool. And my, you know, it fits and my father engineer and I, I can, I can, I think I could do well. And I told my high school physics teacher this, like what I was thinking about majoring in. And he looked at me and said, I don't think that you could do that. I don't think that you could be a chemical engineer. Wow. And that sort of solidified it for me. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Which is, you know, in hindsight, a little bit stubborn and silly.
0: Um, That's a great motivator though, right? I mean, I'm sure you use that to say like, I'm going to prove this guy wrong.
1: It was, it was, Um, you know, and I hope that, you know, for, for folks that are, that, you know, leaving high school and considering majors, you know, I would hope that they today they would run into less of that kind of talk, but self it's, yeah, I think it's still, talk.
0: And I think it's still a problem today. You know, it's, it's, it's sad to say, you know, cause there is um, not enough, you know, females going into engineering technology mm-hmm. uh, majors. Um, they're certainly better than what it once was, but um, just to think that a generation ago, that was a mindset from somebody who was very influential you know, with with students Mm -hmm. and to sort of, you know, put some limits on on somebody who's very impressionable and looking to you for guidance and motivation. Um, You know, he gave you motivation, just not the kind you'd want from from an instructor, right?
1: Yeah. So, you know, and and luckily for me, that was, you know, I took the stance of, okay, I will prove you wrong. And um,
0: that's the Cindy I know. (laughs)
1: I know. Right. Uh, Totally is. Uh, So, but I think, you know, in, in hindsight um, the thing that I would balance that with, and I I think that there's, there's a tremendous amount of value in um, thinking about, you know, what, you know, what are your natural talents? What do you naturally excel at? How does your brain naturally work? And looking at, you know, what careers, you know, art would be a good match um, for that. But I think that's one aspect. Um, and I think, you know, another aspect that I didn't consider as much is is really stopping to think at that age, like, what what am I passionate about? Or what, do, you know, what what gets me really excited? And I can tell you that then and to this day, like, you know, doing you know calculus problems or learning how to do you know design distillation towers is not in my passion (laughs) column and so (laughs) um and yet that's what i you know was trained to do and you know and you know we've all probably at least those of us that are in the workforce here that that's that's really you know people are looking at you know how you come out of colleges, how can you think, what, you know, what are you capable of? Um, Because, you know, every profession has, you know, a lot of on the job training that, that is going to happen. And so, you know, it's, it's more about the critical thinking skills and things like that, but there's also a lot of like deep, you know, subject matter expertise that I came out of school and I frankly never used um, in my Mm -hmm. career. Lots of my, lots of uh, my fellow graduates totally did and went into the field um, really deeply, but I was not one of those. Um, And so I think that there is, um, you know, there's just a component of that that I think is important of, you know, what, you know, what am I good at and how I approach things that I like to do and want to dig deeper and learn more at, but then also like, what, what am I really passionate about? And how can I combine those two or, you know, utilize sort of my, my skills and my strengths towards my passion rather than Mm -hmm. trying to fit it the other way around. If that that makes sense.
0: It does. Yeah. And I think, you know, everybody in in college winds up taking classes, multiple classes that either they think, you know, I'm never going to have to learn or use Shakespeare in any job they ever do. So why am I taking, you know, British literature or whatever the case is. But I think there's there's an element to that, whether it's calculus or fluid dynamics or whatever, that you have sometimes you have to do things that either you don't like, you're not passionate about, or there's not an easy answer to. And mm-hmm. whether it's just pushing through that wall, trying to get creative, you know, collaborating, working in groups, all those things sort of build that muscle that you definitely use when you get out into the workforce. So I think that's true for almost any major. So, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. So passion, you kind of had an idea of what you were passionate about. Did that translate into your first job or coming out of college? Where did you, where did you want it?
1: Um, no, no, it didn't. I, I wasn't that fortunate. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Sometimes our <laughs> journeys take a little bit longer. I Sometimes know Sometimes the journeys yes.
1: take a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yeah, no, I, when I left college, I landed at Intel. um, And, you know, they were, you know, like, they're, they still are a force and a very large company. um, Mm -hmm. And, uh, but, you know, back, back in the day, you know, they were hiring and they, they're hiring like crazy. And they were a company that um, at the time, their culture has changed somewhat, but at the time it was very much, they hired people out of college and they, they wanted those new college graduates because they, they really wanted to shape them from a cultural perspective into um, the Intel culture. And mm-hmm. the Intel culture, I mean, it's known across the world as being like one of the strongest cultures, especially in the manufacturing world. Um, and that's why for so many years that they excelled um, in their manufacturing you know capabilities and mm-hmm. and that was very intentional on their part um, to do so, and so they they hired lots and lots of people um, out of school and so that's where I ended up I ended up i was I was working in a factory, um, but a semiconductor factory, so you know clean room, think like if anyone remembers which some of your listeners probably don't, but, you know, back, gosh, I will really date myself. But when you used to have the, you know, the Intel commercials with the, with the dancing people in the like sparkly bunny suits mm-hmm. um, with those, we actually like wore that, yeah. you know, every day um, yep. in into the factory. And <laughs> although they weren't sparkly and purple, they were just white. <laughs> so it wasn't nearly as cool.
0: You didn't have enough uh, flare on your uniform.
1: It was not. Yeah. <laughs> there's no flare. Um and, you know, and, that, and that's where I got my start. I think where I started to um, like have that spark of the passion is that the other thing that they did was they started people on a track to be a manager very early. So pretty much the minute I walked in the door at 22 years old, I had two people that worked for me. Now these two individuals, Meg and Keith were their names. They had been at the company for years yeah. and they were technicians. They were engineering technicians and they, you know, I, and I was, I was their manager and I'm using air quotes that you can't see because mm-hmm. if you think about that, it's, it's a, it was a little bit of a ridiculous <laughs> concept because <laughs> Here I was, you know. Other than, you know, having sort of the college and leadership roles, you know, whether it was, you know, president of this organization or whatever, it's not the same as you are a manager for these individuals and are, you know, can you know helping to shape, you know, what their next role is and what their continued education is and what raise they get, and. Yeah so that was a very humbling experience. Um, and they managed me more than I managed them for sure. (laughs)
0: Um,
1: And, and yeah, they were so gracious and, um, and just, you know, very patient with me (laughs) as I cut my teeth on (laughs) trying to, trying to lead people. And I still look back on that day, those days and, think of, you know, how grateful I am to them for giving me (laughs) the opportunity to, you know, to really cut my teeth on what it means to be a leader, you know, on these people that really, you know, could run circles around me from a leadership perspective. But I had a degree and therefore I was in the position that that's the path that I was on. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And yeah. So that was kind of, I would say, the start of me understanding what I was most passionate about
0: that's cool because I mean it's you know that's a tough situation to be in I know I I started out in Navy ROTC in college and you know the path was you graduate you're commissioned ensign or if you're in the army it's a second lieutenant and you're right you're 22 years old and you wind up with a team and sometimes Mm -hmm. these are like chief petty officers in their 40s and some have grandkids and they're reporting to you (laughs) Correct. And you're responsible for them. You're like complete imposter syndrome. You know, you're like, wait a minute. what? Yes. I don't know anything other than the <laughs> classes I took in college. And I've worked at a drugstore and a grocery <laughs> store and that's it. Right. And these guys have been out on ships and they've been around the world. They got cool tattoos. I mean, all these things, you know, and it's yeah. just, it's families you know, and you grow yeah. real quick and you're right. You're sort of at the, you know, I would say the mercy at some point, I mean, you, you know, you're responsible for them, but you're, you're dependent on them as they are on you. And I think. You know, if you can make that dynamic work, it certainly sets you up because it's different. Like you said, when you're in college and you're president of a Greek organization or some club, you're you're among peers, you know, age-wise. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. now you're talking about someone who's closer to your parents' age than your age. It's different. It's so, very
1: different. Yeah, it's very different. So you found and very passion- humbling.
0: <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I'm sure you were like, you know, afraid to make a mistake or to show that there was some weakness. I mean, it's, I think about that leadership style and there was weakness in showing um, any sort of mistake or ownership of flaws or any of that. And when you think of what we do now with iterative development and the failing fast concept and all the agile, you know, training and and, uh, expertise that we've gained, it's, it's very different to see that world now, you know?
1: It's so different. It's so different. Yeah. Um, And I, yes, Uh, in in so many ways it was it was a very um so when i started um in my first role it was a very command and control culture um and in fact it's it's interesting you know like comparing backgrounds because um very often you would hear leaders in the organization liken the organizational structure to being a military structure Mm -hmm. and so what's what's really fascinating to see today as we talk about Um, you know, like what we're passionate about now. And, you know, that the agility and the servant leadership and this different way of approaching, but you're also seeing, you know, you're seeing it across the board, like you're seeing it in, um, you know, the military Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and you're, you're seeing people, you know, um, that are, that are also, you know, coming out and they're like Stanley McChrystals and they're, they're, they're writing books about and sharing their experiences about how they have changed that concept, you know, even in the military. And I think um, companies that and organizations that are realizing that are going to have a huge leg up in attracting talent and attracting the next round of talent, but also in training the next round of leaders. And, and that's where I, you know, that's kind of like, today where my, where my passion is, is how do we train the leaders of tomorrow? Cause they're not going to look like the leaders we were when yeah. we were 22. Um, and I hope they don't because, <laughs> because yeah. we had to learn the hard way and with a lot of scars on our backs, um, mm-hmm. to, to learn some things that I think now are becoming concepts that, um, you know, newer leaders are kind of like they're, they're embracing from the start. Um, and that's, and so that's really a good thing to see.
0: Um,
1: yeah. But sure. yeah, so yeah, so that was that was a start. Where do you, where do you want to go from there? I, was, I don't know.
0: So you you and I met at Macy's. Um, I'm yes. curious to hear your path from Intel to Macy's.
1: Um, yeah, that's an interesting uh, story.
0: Because <laughs> I don't know if we've talked too much about that um, before.
1: Yeah. So I so I ended up spending I ended up spending nine years at Intel, and I had. I mean, the great thing about a big company like that um, is that you can try on a lot of different roles um, mm-hmm. and a lot of different hats uh, with, and still be within one company. You know, it seems fairly, you know, a lot rarer these days, um, but, but I would say, you know, back when I, when I started at Intel, most of the senior folks there were lifers. Like they had been there, you know, 20, 30 years and so that was still, it was one of the companies that was still kind of holding on to that. Like, I am, this is my career. Um, and, and they've changed significantly since then, as, as has the world of work. But, um, but it was really, I, when I decided to leave, I decided to leave at nine years. And I decided to leave at nine years because I felt I was in danger of becoming a lifer. Mm-hmm. And that people that and I still have you know very dear friends um, and colleagues that are still there that we grew you know we grew up together in our early days, um, you know early days at Intel, traveling around the world together to you know these different sites and and we still keep in touch. But I I think that there is a there is a disadvantage to. You know, if you put all of your eggs in one basket, as they say, mm-hmm. um, and now in today's corporate world where restructurings are so common, um, where businesses are moving faster and are changing, that means that, you know, you may not be as relevant for as long. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that safety net sort of goes away of of being with the company. And so I, f- I was feeling that even early on, um, you know, that I wanted to experience different working environments. and I didn't want to get caught in that and turn around and be 25 years with the company and think, gosh, I don't actually know what else is out there and what else I am capable of doing. Um, and I still, to this day, will see friends that I feel like are caught a little bit in that trap. Yeah. Um, and so in my mind, but it was met with a lot of resistance and people that had been really strong mentors for me and had helped me grow in the organization and it gave me incentives to stay in the organization, you know, their reaction was like, what, what, what do you mean you're leaving? Um, And so it was, but I I knew there was a voice uh, that was telling me, this is the right thing to do. And so (laughs) from there, I, um, I actually went to work for a Japanese company and I worked for Hitachi, which is a huge corporation, but I worked um, still on the manufacturing side and worked with companies like Intel, um, helping them with like, you know, their next generation technology, strategic account management. um, But it was a lot more client relationship based, um, which was, which I really liked. Um, And then I got married and my husband and I decided, um, you know, we were at a point in our careers that we had relatively little overhead. You know, we were still, we weren't homeowners yet. Uh, We were living in San Francisco and we, decided that we were going to take a sabbatical. Um, and this was in 2008. Uh, it was about, we were married about uh, two weeks before Lehman brothers collapsed. And, oh, and God. so we, you know, we got married, we came back, we had made this little, you know, like secret handshake pack that we we're going to walk in and say, Hey, we're each planning to take a year off. And so you know, we're, we're, we're going to do this and, and plan a year abroad. And, and it was, it was really uh, interesting because uh, we, we had, we saw two camps of people. And I will say that those two camps of people have in many ways shaped the rest of my career. Um, And it's because those two camps of people were the people that were like, wow, that is so cool. Awesome. You go mm-hmm. do that. That's great. We'll see you, when you get back. Yeah. And then there was the other half of people, which included most of our parents yeah. <laughs> and, and many of our, you know, work colleagues that said, you're committing career suicide. You're never yeah. going to recover from this. Uh, this, like who does this? And, you know, in many, many other cultures. And even I would say, you know, in the last 15 years, 20 years, it's become, has it been 20 years? It hasn't been 20 years. <laughs> I can't do math. The last 12 years or so, um, it's become much more socially acceptable even in the U S to do that kind of career break. And I've seen it a lot more, but I think we were kind of on the forefront of people that actually in the U S did that and in sort of, you know, dropped out of the career market. And we both had, we both had good jobs. Um, you know, we neither of us thought we were going You know, we're like the companies weren't in trouble. It was a good time. And then Lehman Brothers collapsed. And I remember my my husband's boss came back to him and said, do you really want to do this? Like, I will actually give you three months leave if you you only take three months. But at a year, I can't guarantee your job back. And so we had to really pause and say, is this what we want to do? Is this, like, are, are we this passionate about taking this time that we're willing to take the risk? And we decided to do it. What, was,
0: we, what was the driving? Because, I mean, I, I find it fascinating that um, – because I, I could I could picture me talking to my parents about something like that and <laughs> thinking that I'm absolutely insane. And But I think it's – so I, I'm curious to see what was the, I guess, the motivator for you and what you were looking to accomplish or come out yeah. of it with. I think it's amazing.
1: Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question. I think we were we were looking at it as – a unique opportunity at a point in our lives that we knew was probably never going to come again, um, where we felt like we were at points in our career that we, we could come back and maybe it wasn't going to be the same role at the same company. In fact, it definitely wasn't. And yeah, you
0: come back, you may not want that same job anyway. You right? may not
1: want that same job, but the experience that we were going to be able to have and the fact that from a, you know, from a logistical perspective, I mean, now, you know, a house and two kids mm-hmm. in school later, you know, full-time like full-time school teacher. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, and being, and being a school teacher <laughs> and on top of having a career, Thank um, you, which yeah. yeah. Yay. 2020. <laughs> um, but it, we just we saw this opportunity, and it had been a lifelong dream for both of us um, to to you know to to take this time and experience this culture and to be able to do something that you know not many Americans were, had were doing at the time. Um, and had you
0: traveled much before then?
1: I had. We both had. In fact, my husband lived overseas for you know he was an expat in Europe for seven years. And okay, so, so you
0: guys we all were comfortable with the idea of traveling around the world then
1: we were definitely comfortable with it. Like we just, we really wanted to immerse ourselves. We really wanted to take it in more than, you know, you know, you get it, maybe if you're lucky, you get a two week, you know, block of time that mm-hmm. you can actually go experience one place. And it was just like, this isn't enough. We want to actually be able to experience it at a deeper level. Um, and so, yeah, it was, it was scary and it was, You know, it was a really tough decision, especially after the economy really kind of went sideways. Um, But now I would say, you know, we look across the dinner table each other sometimes over the two kids, you know, (laughs) talking about their (laughs) homeschool days, and and we we don't regret one one moment of it.
0: Oh, that's Um, awesome!
1: And it took it. So, did we have a linear path? No we did not have a linear career path Um, and we probably had a less linear career path, but my career path has been so nonlinear that, (laughs) that I think that's one of the things that I have embraced is the nonlinear path. Um, And I think the more that you can do that and not tie your identity to that linear path, Mm -hmm. I think, you know, the, the, the better off you'll be. And the more opportunities that you didn't expect, like I never expected I would be working for Macy's um, as an example, um, you know, they just, they, they wouldn't have materialized. And so, um, so when we came back um, from our trip, I actually, you know, I, 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 got a call to go back into a manufacturing organization and, and in this case it was a startup um, and it was back when uh, solar manufacturing was really hot in the United States and lots of people had made the transitions, very similar technologies from sort of the semiconductor manufacturing world to these, to these solar startups. And so I landed there. They needed someone to come in and, they, and run uh, and scale their factory. They had a really good R&D product and they were attempting to bring it into production, but they, they needed people with the, you know, high volume manufacturing experience um, that I had. And so I was brought in um, through contacts at Intel, um, that I had, um, who were actually working there as consultants, uh, to, to be, you know, the person on the inside to, to really run, run the factory and scale it. So, um, so, and that, you know, that startup, uh, experience was really beneficial. Um, I think, you know, I, when, for anyone who can work at different size companies at various points in their career, I think you learn a lot, um, and I think you learn a lot about yourself and, you know, what, what works for you, uh, what, you know, it, it highlights different strengths, it highlights different vulnerabilities that you might have. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it was, it was an important step um, in my career. Unfortunately, it was a VC-funded startup that ran out of money, um, yeah. so it didn't last forever, um, which is the risk when you, you know, when you go and work in the startup world, um, for sure. Yeah.
0: But I think being a part of a startup is – I used to think people that went there were crazy because I was such a conservative, always been in the big company, and Mm. just was like, I could never live that that kind of risk. But having been in one, and I feel like it's a graduate degree in its own because you're gaining so much more experience in, say, 6 to 12 months of being in that small company that's nimble and fast-paced and having to adjust than I probably saw in 5 to 10 years in a big organization because you're Mm -hmm. so – such a small piece of that big cog that you don't really see all the components, but you know, in a small startup, you're sitting around the table with the decision makers, leaders, and, and, you know, the VC, you know, reps or whoever, and you're hearing exactly what you're going to be doing. So it's, it's or yeah. if you have an idea and you're like, Hey, this is, this is completely wrong. I was talking to a customer yesterday and they don't want that. They want this and let's do it, you know? So um, yeah, I think it's, it's a great experience and it's unfortunate because there are a lot that, you know, they don't survive, but Um, really smart people gain a lot of experience coming out of it so Mm -hmm.
1: yeah and you get opportunities and I would say you know there I you know that was um, you know my first time reporting to a CEO Um, I reported directly to the CEO of the company I you know three weeks into that role I was presenting in front of the board Mm -hmm. um, and you know, that had like, it was sort of a who's who of Silicon Valley board, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, guys that had been on magazine covers, all all guys, nice. I will no say pressure, right? all guys, no pressure. <laughs> um, and, uh, but I mean, from an experience like that's gold, it's also, you know, like, and like you said, you grow a tremendous amount. It, it is, um, you know, an entire learning experience uh, in and of itself. And to me, that was where I, gained the most in terms of my leadership capabilities. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of it because of what I saw that, um, because it also is a little bit of the wild West Um, and, you know, startups are known known for that, both from a personality perspective, um, but also just from kind of who it attracts. And so, so I saw, you know, really strong leadership and I saw really not awesome leadership. And so I started to really be able to pick apart um, kind of those leadership characteristics that I, you know, I found really valuable and forward-looking and those that were, were getting people stuck. Yeah, um, And that's, I think, a lot of the experience that I brought into Mises and when we were working together. And, and so, you know, from, from there, when that kind of, you know, that fell apart, um, I you know, that was probably the biggest, um, if, you, if you look on a piece of paper, that was my biggest career jump from manufacturing, semiconductor, solar, very technical, you know, very manufacturing oriented to Macy's. You, you mm-hmm. look at that and you think, what? Yeah. <laughs> you know, you scratch your head. But in reality, it was, um, you know, it was virtually the same type of role in just a different application. hmm um, and I think that is, you know, another thing that I would, um, you know, want people to take away if they're, if they're listening and thinking about as they make career moves is think about, you know, the, the skills that you have and how you can, you know, and, and get enough knowledge for how you might transpose that into another type of role and there's so many cross-links between different types of roles that it's, it's not that difficult to find. Like, oh, I understand these concepts because of my experience with X, Y, or Z. And you can start to draw those parallels. And so it's not – it no longer becomes a foreign concept. It's just a different manifestation of some of the tools that you already have in your belt. Yep. Um, and, that's, and that's really what I found because that was, that was when I really transitioned from, you know, actually manufacturing of things that you could pick up and touch to software, which yeah. is, you know, it is its own product. Um, but the, the methodologies, and if we think about, um, you know, now with um, what I focus on around agile methodologies, lean, you know, those, those principles came out of manufacturing yeah, and were adopted by, um, by the software industry who then, took them and and took many of the concepts and one, they customized them to their own and, and put them on steroids in some cases um, because you can, you know, you can't create a minimum viable product of a computer chip in three weeks, but you can when you're talking about, you know, a digital product. And so, um, you know, it allowed in some ways, a lot more freedom and a lot more room to play, um, which is really cool. But, how I made that transition was another relationship. And it was, it was actually someone who was already working in Macy's technology as a product uh, manager who one day, kid you not, we're riding on a ski lift together. And she looked at me and said, I don't actually know what you really do. Like, what is, what do you do? And I started (laughs) to explain how, you know, my job is really to help make people and processes work better both. So people are happier in their roles and also so that, you know, our business results, our outcomes are better. And she looked at me and she said, I think there's a role within the Macy's technology organization that might be exactly a fit for you. And it was the internal consulting role Mm -hmm. that I ended up taking. And then the group that ended up leading, which led me to getting to work with you. So,
0: um,
1: so at first glance, it, it was like, what in, what in the world is this chemical engineer who came from manufacturing background doing, actually being, you know, consulting us on how to build better agile organization.
0: <laughs> but,
1: <laughs> but in reality, it's 90% overlap of the tools and the capabilities. Yep. It's just applied to a different type of uh, organization and a, and a different product.
0: Yep. Yeah, because you've really been doing it for a long time. It just was called something different, but the principles and, you know, the philosophy was very similar. So, yeah, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I think about, you know, when I went to Macy's and like as a retailer and I worked in e-commerce, but I don't know, big box retailer and, you know, uh, uh, talking to a few folks and, you know, looking at some of my background and like between Delta and Mannheim, you know, it was the same kind of logistical problems. It was either airports and res offices or it was auctions and online Um, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, auctions or it was physical stores and Macy's and Bloomingdale's.com. It was all kind of the same concept. It's just a different industry, but you know, same kind of an approach and same challenges. So Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's pretty amazing. Well, you, you specialize or you got to be an expert in a couple of different areas that I knew of at Macy's, right? So when you were, you knew the product management set pretty well, Mm -hmm. you kind of kicked off a lot of the you no, know, the the agile transformation you mentioned lean before. those lean labs were um, you know just a revolution um, within the dot com world and hugely successful. And then there was a lot of just organizational change management that you had to do working with HR and making sure that the communication went out. And um, you mentioned you were presenting to you know bigwigs on the cover of Fortune magazine, but. You're <laughs> Your powerpoints are works of art. So, <laughs> I have I have I it's pretty rare that I've seen anybody do a better job at powerpoints than you because it you kind of convey in one slide exactly the message and it's visually appealing and it's got the right content behind it so pretty amazing. So, you definitely did a lot of things at Macy's and it probably was a co- accumulation of your experience that you had in the past as well as just the willingness to learn and to grow and to get into your role and be great at it, right?
1: Yeah. And it really is a combination. I think, you know, you, you you have to anchor in um, to avoid that imposter syndrome that we were talking about in like your background and the knowledge that, you know, you can, can translate, you know, your experience from, from one uh, sort of situation to the other, but the other part of it, and you said it just now really well, is at the same time, you know, having the, humility and the curiosity to say how is this different what don't i know Mm -hmm. how like what do i need to think about that is different in order to you know to, to speak their language in order to understand what's keeping these people up at night um and i and i think i sort of found you know my place in in the software development world which is you know continue to translate to building you know really strong agile teams both now within software and as business agility has really become um you know much you know much wider practice and something that companies are realizing like oh it's not just in our software development that we have to incorporate this agility and you know this ability for these people to have to be empowered to make decisions to you know the people closest to the customer are the ones that that are driving the business. Um, as those concepts have kind of disseminated, again, it's 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 this combination of what do I already know? What are tools in my belt that that I know are going to be helpful here? But at the same time, it's taking a step back. It's being curious. It's listening to what their unique challenges are and meeting those organizations where they are. That I think is is the secret sauce as you transition or if you especially if you have a career like mine where you've you've moved around to sort of like different frames of um the same kind of work that you're continuing to ask different questions um and that will also help lead you on your path of like oh what's cool next like i you know i think over over the course of like really digging into um you know doing agile transformation and you know really bringing like the lean startup model into a large organization like Macy's Um, one of the things that that really triggered in me was a passion for how do you help people who like we were talking about earlier that you know you grew up knowing one way of leadership and maybe it was a command and control Mm -hmm. way Um, and so how do you help people to transition and see the value? in a different kind of leadership. Um, and at the same time, how do you help new leaders just, you know, kind of get on that path, um, from the beginning. So you're, so you're like, so you're constantly evolving what leadership looks like and you're meeting it at, at kind of some of these concepts that we know today work, you know, are much more empowering to the organization, allow them to move more quickly, um, and kind of, you know, hone people's leadership skills around that. So like, So that leadership piece has become like a real passion of mine because I saw so many people getting stuck um, as I was doing my work that it's like, there's, there's gotta be a better way. How do we, you know, how do we help in a different way that um, can help move people along that leadership journey? Because, because it is changing and work is changing and the world is changing.
0: Yep. Yeah, that's great. And it's, um, you know, it's, it's hard to do that well. And there's some companies that, really struggle at that. And so um, and we saw a little bit of that struggle at Macy's um, and we were also, I guess, given the opportunity to explore other avenues. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about what you're doing now.
1: Yeah. So, um, so I've really continued to, to, to do that. And um, as someone who has not been um, a lifelong consultant, um, but has um, decided now um, that I want to take that experience and that broad experience I have and be able to offer that to multiple different clients in multiple different situations. Um, and so, that for me, the the reason that I did that rather than transition to you know being internal at a at another company is because I really like to experience how different people um, where they are in their journey, how they're solving their problems, and really now what I specialize in is, um, you know, we, you know, as a boutique consulting firm our tagline is we help companies do more, better, faster. But what that really translates to is two things. One is, you know, how do we actually help you continue to drive better business results? And two, how do we, you know, really look at that employee engagement and how do we create this workforce, because we're spending so much of our lives at work, that is that feels like they are really a part of the solution, and that they they want to come to work and solve these you know hard challenges that everyone um, is facing together. And so, how do you instill that culture that is this collaborative culture that is also going to enable you to have better outcomes?
0: Yeah, that's great. Do you feel like that's where you're? You, know, you talked earlier about passion. Do you feel like that's where your innate passion is at its greatest in what you're doing now.
1: I, I do. Um, I, I think I, you know, I was talking about it a little bit earlier. Um, that is, that is part of it. I think, um, I'm, I've been spending more time um, honing in a little bit on double clicking on the leadership piece of that. Mm -hmm. Um, but they go hand in hand. And so today I use, I use those, those two parts of, um, what I do, um, together. Um, it could look like a different manifestation, at some point, um, where it might be more focused on the, you know, the leaders' journeys, um, you know, regardless of sort of what industry you're in, or whether you know it's part, of, whether it's doing it as part of a transformation initiative. But um, but yeah, for now, I you know I combine that leadership coaching and helping leaders look at thing look at the world differently than I did yesterday, mm-hmm. with how do we get companies from point A to point B on their transformation journey, whether that's an agile transformation, whether that's a cultural transformation, um, you know, really is, is what is where? what are they trying to accomplish? And then how do we meet them where they are today and bring them along that journey?
0: Yeah. Well, that's, that's right in your wheelhouse. I think those are definitely areas where you excel at. So I I definitely saw that skill that you did at Macy's and, and it seems like that's going to continue on with what you're doing now. You know, it's funny um, we're talking about passion. You know, I, there's always this uh, point counterpoint between passion and learning. Um, and so sometimes mm-hmm. people don't necessarily have, you know, passion or they're trying to find it. Um, but I've tried to flip that a little bit in terms of, even if you don't have that passion, you can always strive to learn and try to learn new things. And that can take you down a path that, you know, maybe you wouldn't normally follow, but because you're asking, why does this work this way, or why is this broken? Or how can we do something better? I know this would be a passion, but it can be uh, a quest, and you know, mm-hmm. trying to find that answer. And so sometimes um, that that can get you to a place where then you go, "Oh, you know what? And this is my jam. I had no idea this was going to be so much fun until I got here." Now, so sometimes it's it's the cart before the horse type thing, mm-hmm. but either way, if you can get to that place where you feel like you've got you know, you're leveraging your skills and your talents and your experiences, and it drives some of that, you know, curiosity for you. And it's not a struggle to get out of bed. That's, that's kind of where we all, you know, strive to be, I think, as long as we're working.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think that's, that's so important because, um, and you, I mean, you know, you're, you're doing these podcasts with a bunch of different people, but I I would hypothesize as we like to do in the agile world, <laughs> um, that, that there's a lot of people's stories that are, that are like that. Like yeah. until I experienced this or until I had to learn this um, as, you know, part of something that I, you know, needed to work on, did I figure out like, aha, this mm-hmm. is actually something I'm really, really passionate about. And so that, that openness to, you know, to that learning, but that always striving for, that, you know, what else can I learn? It's, it's mm-hmm. like, we do this at the dinner table. Um, and, you know, we ask I ask. We ask three questions at the dinner table. You know, what was the best thing about your day? What was the worst thing about your day? And what did you learn today? Yeah. Um, and, you know, sometimes we stop. We stop learning. And, or we don't put that at the forefront. And so to me, that helps me. You know, keep that top of mind of like, what did what did I learn today? Um, what's something new that I didn't know yesterday?
0: Um, yeah,
1: and I think that that alone um, that skill can really help you continue to find your passion because it could change. It could change five times in a career, and that's okay. Um, but are you? are you looking and kind of validating like, yeah, this is where I want to be. Or, "Oh, there's something else out there that I really would like to go after.
0: Yes. Yeah, that's great. We did uh, we did good thing, bad thing at our kitchen table and mm. it was, it just brought about a sense of, you know, it's not just, we're just going to like bitch about everything today, but it was like, let's spin things a little bit. But I like that learning component too. Cause that is, that is always an opportunity. And to your point about some of these podcasts, I mean, I've, I've been, there's not a ton of these out right now, but the ones that I've done, there are definitely some common themes, you know, and whether you're in, you know, law profession or you're in, you know, social media or you're doing branding or marketing or any of these ones, there's a lot of the same, you know, um, common questions that people have. And then they start to think about opportunities. And, you know, you've mentioned a couple of times where you've kind of taken a leap off that cliff that people think you're crazy, but, it led you to something that was really good. And, you know, sometimes people can struggle with fear when there really isn't that it's not that bad on, on the other end, or you've, you gain a lot of experience coming out the other side too. So that's, that's always something I think that people really should remember is that, um, you know, there, people have, people have dealt with the same questions, <laughs> you know, generation and generation and generations. Yeah. and, and- you know,
1: absolutely absolutely and i think the the other important part of that which i feel like we could talk for
0: hours but we're gonna have to do one or two more of these because we're gonna have to talk about your rv trip and your your, oh my gosh yes and what was the um the the things you did in europe the walking uh seminars or
1: walk shops walk Mm -hmm. shops
0: yeah we Mm -hmm. definitely have to have a couple more of these cindy yeah
1: no kidding um yes i would i could yes i could talk about those forever but um but but kind of, you know, to play off that last point, I think, and to kind of bring it back, because, you know, we've talked about a lot about, like, looking internal, what are you learning? I also think that putting those things out in your environment is, is a great way to also find the right place for you. So we talked to, so, you know, we've, we've kind of spent this hour talking about what's my right place, what do mm-hmm. I want? Um, but there's such a big component of it that is what, where do I fit? What culture do I fit in? What kind of place do I want to work? or create you know or to be and as an entrepreneur create this place um and that culture component you know and i i talked about this to kind of close the loop a little bit ago about how defining those that moment was when um, my husband and i took a year off because when i came back and started interviewing people had that same sort of reaction one of two reactions it was either like wow that is so cool tell me more about this. And we might spend 10 minutes of the interview talking about it and riffing on it before we got into the, okay, now what, what, what can you bring to the table? Mm -hmm. And those are the people I wanted to work with. And the people that looked at that and said, you did what? And (laughs) you could just see the look on their face that said like, I don't, I don't value or respect that decision. That was also a filter for me to immediately say, I don't want to work for you because you you don't have that same values basis of the experience that I had, or you're, you're, you're putting another judgment on it. And so many things um, that, you know, like even talking about like where you've taken leaps and the, the people that you also have to look at the people that are accepting that leap that are like, you know what, you might not have this particular experience, but I can, I can connect the dots and I can see you in this role, or I can, I can see you it will be successful here. Um, those are the people you want to work with as, yeah. at the same time.
0: That's a great point. And I think people tend to forget sometimes that you are interviewing the company as much as they are you. That's right. Because you want to make sure that where you're going is a good fit. And I think, I think the generation that's coming out of college now, my kids seem to get that more so than, than you or I did. Um, mm-hmm. I know we we talked at the beginning of this just about sort of like, chasing the money, you know, based on a major or what was coming out of it. And I know that was my focus coming out of college was I got some debt. I need to take care of this. I'm going to pay my bills. I'm tired of being broke and Mike.
1: Tired of being ramen noodles. (laughs)
0: Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) But my, my kids um, think differently, you know, they, they have traveled world, and I think uh, kind of sort of wrap things up in terms of the nuggets you've thrown out there, but I think the benefits of world travel are immense and I I didn't realize how much um, how much you gain just by doing that for a semester and it took me a long time as an adult to sort of want to get comfortable traveling and I had some definitely some advantages working for Delta I could do that without spending a lot of money but mm-hmm. it wasn't until I started working for the Olympics and really spending multiple weeks in a foreign culture with food and um, you know religion and you know political and government everything's very different and so you have to sort of adjust and embrace and then you get to appreciate you know at a human level what, what these people really are about and so that, mm-hmm. that changes you and how you perceive things going forward so I think that's really a uh, benefit embrace the nonlinear path find your passion I mean there's a lot of really good things that you've, you've mentioned today um, where do you fit what culture works best but um, any, any final advice that you would give say to a younger you
1: oh what would I say to a younger me?
0: Um, <laughs> You're pretty bold as as a young person, anyway. So,
1: <laughs> you know, i I think um, what I would what I would tell myself is, um, you know, is is not just to play to expectations or strengths um, to honor them and incorporate them, but not necessarily let, like let them guide you. And I think that was early on in my career. Um, I, I didn't honor that as much. Um, and I, and I think, you know, the the other thing that, that I think that I would agree with you that the, um, the generations that are, you know, coming in the workforce now, you know, they're actually driving a lot of accountability for companies um, mm-hmm. to, to be able to not only articulate the culture and the value proposition for employees, but to, but to really live, live that culture. And I think that's fantastic. Um, yeah. And so, you know, that, that's the other thing I would say is, you know, the, where you land and who you work, you know, and there's the old adage, like, people don't leave jobs, they leave they leave leaders. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, but I think that is so true. And I think the more that you can also put yourself in the path of people that you respect that can continue to teach you something and to push you to learn and to be curious, the more that you can do that, it's just, it's going to accelerate that learning path. Um, And so like not settling for, you know, the, the, Crappy manager or the role that doesn't doesn't really fit um, who you are, and and looking for like where you can align yourself with people that can help you grow.
0: Yeah, great advice. See, this is why you're a great manager.
1: <laughs> Thank
0: you. Well, this is awesome, Cindy. Thank you so much for your time. This has been a lot of fun. We're definitely gonna do another one or two of these. Oh seriously uh,
1: i feel like we could talk for hours i think we might we might we might bore your (laughs) listeners but um but we could riff for hours on this stuff
0: (laughs) exactly well cindy thanks so much this is a great great insight um thanks for sharing your journey and uh, we'll be talking soon
1: sounds great thank you paul